No fluff. Don't worry about your dick. That's going to come later. No lies. I just masturbated. Just real women. Cock rings. Cock rings. Talking real sex. I am so bruised on my girl bits. Sex gets real. Sex gets so real. So real up in here. With Dawn. What's the most sensitive part of your cock? And Dylan. Let's talk about the elusive clip. Now get ready to get real. Eating pussy. There you have it. This is Dawn. And this is Dylan. And we are super excited to have a very special guest for you today. We have Gina Senarigi. She is a PhD and MFT. And what those mean is she's a coach, a couples counselor, a sex educator, a blogger, and a workshop facilitator in Portland, Oregon. I met up with Gina last summer when I was out in Portland, and we had an absolutely lovely time talking about sex and relationships and queer and poly and all things good. So Gina inspires sex positive, queer and non-monogamous couples to be even stronger together with her practice, Uncommon Love Counseling. She also guides clients to live an integrity-fueled life in her positive psychology blog and psychotherapy practice, Amplify Happiness Now. She's got a master's degree in both counseling and education, and she's a trainer with both Danielle Laporte's Desire Map and Brene Brown's Daring Way program, which is amazing. Amazing. Yes, Gina also has some resources available for mental health professionals called the Honeybee Business Solutions for Therapists. And in her free time, she told us she enjoys gardening, listening to NPR, practicing yoga, and traveling the world with her partner, who is super attractive. So welcome to our show, Gina. Hi, thanks. You left out that we went and got pedicures. Oh, (laughs) we did get pedicures. The most fun. Which was so fun, yes. And you just got back from a super chilly vacation, didn't you? I did. My family's in northern Wisconsin, and so uh, I took two and a half weeks off with my sweetheart, and we hiked and snowshoed and (laughs) went out in the freezing cold. It was 45 below. Oh, my God. What? Forget that noise. I thought she was going to say 45 degrees, and I'm like, that's okay. (laughs) No, below. No. (laughs) Sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Forget that. It was awesome, though. It was really fun. Yeah, it looked awesome. The pictures were beautiful. But Mm -hmm. it's good to take a break every once in a while. I completely agree. So, um, this isn't in our question list, but I just kind of wanted to start with a more personal note. What got you into all of this work and all these wonderful certifications and all this education and kind of your focus on? like kink and poly and all that kind of great stuff, queer couples. What's your story? I've always liked helping people and I've always liked going to school and I'm good at it. So there's one piece that's just (laughs) selfishly I collect degrees (laughs) and really like learning and I'm good at it. So there's a piece that I can't deny there. But truthfully, like in helping people, I started because I was a, um, a student at Indiana University and I went to undergrad in Wisconsin And as a queer person living in rural area, there really weren't resources. We had to drive groups of folks into the city like two and a half hours one way. And then this whole group would go to therapy one by one by one. And we would play board games in the lobby. Um, (laughs) And then we would all bust back. And I just was like, there has got to be a better way for (laughs) queer folks to have access to therapy. And And so I moved out to the left coast um, to get more training and resources. And and I thought that I would be moving back. And still there's a part of me that considers that. But what's been wonderful is with um, all the online resources and capability of connecting with folks, 
it's possible for me now to provide some services to people elsewhere mm-hmm. through online counseling or through e-courses and things. So anyway, so I'm sticking with the left coast. <laughs> and I just, you know, the same thing has been true where um, as a person who's in a non-monogamous relationship and who's a part of the BDSM community, I find that clients come to me because I have affiliation and I have knowledge in those areas. And it's really heartbreaking to me how many clients will come to me and say, oh, our therapist said, mm-hmm. our last therapist said we had to break up because mm-hmm. we have different kinks. Or our last therapist, you know, people keep telling us that we can't make it because one of us is bisexual and the other one isn't. Or, you know, like they just mm-hmm. get all, all these folks who can't support them. And I feel really protective sometimes of my community and wanting us to have resources. And so, you know, um, there's some tricky stuff with being part of the community because mm-hmm. as a therapist, I can't treat my friends or anything. Right. Um, but for the most part, it's really just fulfilling for me to know that I'm supporting people that I love and this community that I love being a part of. Mm-hmm. That's really awesome. I have to say personally, yeah. <clears throat> I was seeing a therapist for probably about seven years. And we had a really great relationship towards the end. We started to struggle a little bit. I think, you know, she had started to care for me a little bit more like a friend than she did as a therapist. And right at the end, I was starting to move into a relationship that was non-monogamous. And I remember her saying, this is going to fail because men are the only ones who can do poly and you are never going to make it. And it was right after that that I kind of said, you know, this isn't working for me anymore. And I thank you so much for everything that you've done for me and working with my anxiety and all that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. I really need to focus on working with people who understand how non-monogamy works and who are a lot more comfortable with kink. She was really uncomfortable with the kink, even though she's Mm. queer herself. Yeah. Um, So it's so wonderful knowing that there's resources out there like you, Gina, you know, that... Just understand the community, if nothing else, and, you know, kind of the unique struggles that so many of us face. I feel very fortunate, uh, like you said, for, you know, being in here in the metro D.C. area, we have so many resources available to us. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of heartbreaking with people who live in the Midwest or small towns, and they know deep down inside that there's a little something different about them from everybody else, and they just don't know where to go. Yeah. You know? So I do feel fortunate and it's 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 sad that the resources aren't out there, but maybe, you know, through what we're doing, at least people mm-hmm. can have some online resources or podcasts to listen to and, and things of that nature. Yeah. So, some more to they go. know they're not alone. Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> totally. And I do think, I mean, there's some truth to the fact, you know, there's like a thread, I will say just a thread of truth to what your therapist said, that like there are extra challenges mm-hmm. only in the fact that there aren't as many resources and there isn't as much support. Right. Um, and, you know, and so like that is a challenge. But like other than that, I don't think we that I would agree with what you were told. <laughs> yeah. I agree. You know, I mean, I work with couples mm-hmm. all the time who are doing yeah. great stuff. Yeah. Great stuff together. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So you see couples for lots of different kinds of stuff. What do you think is the most common reason that people seek therapy when they're in relationship? Yeah. So every, I, every, I think I can actually say every couple comes to me saying they want to communicate better. And, um, and then the truth is that means about a million different things, but (laughs) everyone uses that phrase like all the time. I would be surprised if you could find another couples therapist who wouldn't agree. Everyone wants better communication. Uh, but what that really means is usually 
one or both partners have gotten distant from each other. There's like some, you know, fatigue from just the stress of life or, um, you know, um, a lot of times like they have kids or job stress or something that kind of gets in the way and they've been more task oriented or like household management oriented than oriented towards fueling their own inner fire Mm. or their passions or taking care of themselves. And when you start to lose yourself, it's really hard to connect with anybody else or it's Mm -hmm. hard for your partner to have anything to connect to. And so that's something that I see all the time. Um, I see mismatched sexual desire all the time. You know, we have, yeah. I mean, you guys hear about this all the time. We, we have these fantasies in our culture that magically, our partner's going to have the same amount of desire as we do all the time. And that's just, you know, it's, it's like, so a- not, it's so not reality. I mean, even I know within my relationship, it's not, you know, mm-hmm. I'm much more exploratory and, you know, maybe slightly kink based when the wife <laughs> is, you know, it's more about passion and intimacy and love and caressing. And I'm like, Fuck, you just want to fuck. fuck, you know, <laughs> and we, we have to have a compromise, of course. But like even with my friends that I know, they have this deep desire to go and do so many kinky things and their wives are so vanilla or whatever, you know, and they just don't yeah. know how to break that, that, um, that little bump. Yeah. And it basically all comes down to communications. And I think we stress that so much in our podcast is that you mm-hmm. have to talk, you have to talk, you mm-hmm. have to say you have to say the scary get to stuff. that scary, yeah, mm-hmm. the scary yeah. topics um, and risk, yeah. you know, whatever comes, whether it's, you know, surprise or anger or what the fuck or, <laughs> you know, just freak out moment and you have to take that jump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I, you know, the storyline that we have is that if your desire is mis- mismatched, that means there's something wrong with your relationship. And yeah. just like you yeah. said, like, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong Mm-mm. with you. No. <laughs> it just is yeah. what it is. It is what it yeah. is. And, like, you know, you've been going strong for five years. I've been going strong for ten. And we don't mm-hmm. see that ever reaching some sort of end just because we're mismatched, because we find ways to make it work. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I desire pizza more often than my partner does. Right, but I wouldn't right. have desire sex more often, you know? Oh, that's a great exactly. point. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So, um, speaking of Dylan, you kind of brought this up a little bit about your friends and some of our listeners, but a lot of our listeners are just kind of branching into trying things that are, you know, kind of outside their realm of comfort. So they're just kind of dabbling with kink or they're dabbling with open relationships or one of them wants to, and the other one doesn't know that yet. So Gina, just based on your experience, what's your advice for how to do this successfully if you've never really kind of gone there before? So you guys do a great job on this podcast, like you were just saying, about being really clear that you, ha- you have to be in communication. You have to be talking. And you can't uh, – you diving into things really quickly without some communication can create more problems. Mm-hmm. Um, the piece that I think is missing and that I talk – I don't know if you guys have talked about this much, but you know it's true. We talked about this over our pedicures. Um, <laughs> is that – like I tell this to all my couples, you will fuck this up. Like there will be a mistake there. You, you, there will be a mistake. Some, there's no way to predict Mm -hmm. all of the Mm -hmm. things that could possibly go wrong as you start to venture and trying new things, opening up some things you can't anticipate everything. So something's going to go wrong. And what you really need to do in advance 
is prepare for how are we going to weather mistakes together? Yeah. Right? Like, how do we repair? How do we come back together? How do we check in after something's gone wrong? And you can practice with, like, you know, anything from, like, planning a vacation and having it go wrong. Okay, well, how could we have done that better, right? And how you mm-hmm. stay connected through mistakes happening. I mean, that the couples that I see lasting through opening up and trying new things are the ones who can weather mistakes. Because you have to be able to come back and talk yeah. about it. You know, we talked a yeah. little bit last yeah. last episode after action reports, mm-hmm. whether it's after a sex escapade yep. or you know you went and ventured on your first threesome or whatever it was, and you know, speaking from experience, mm-hmm. we fucked it up. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> we fucked it up. It was horrible. It was near divorce. Um, we hated each other. And we were like, what the fuck? You know, and it was, we didn't talk it out. You have to pre-plan that shit. You've yeah. got to talk it. These are the rules. This is what we do if things don't feel right. Um, this is what we're going to do to go. And, you know, we found an amazing therapist. We've been with her since the very beginning of our relationship. She... I'm surprised Nancy has not gone running. She, we must be the most entertaining couple for her. There, and she just kind of like, she you know shakes her head and says, "Here, you guys are back again." You know, but she's super yeah. supportive, and you know, she's if I could say anything that's best about a therapist is that they instruct you, coach you, whatever the heck it is, to learn how to talk to each other mm-hmm. nicely, and you know, to get out those gross things you don't want to say mm-hmm. or that you might be ashamed of or something that's going to make you cry mm-hmm. and you just you know I think that's what's most important is you really have to know how to talk and and get that okay and feelings. deal with the crap I, yeah, right you have exactly to. it's nothing's mm-hmm. just going to blow over yeah it doesn't work that way and you can't forget it you know let's mm-hmm. just brush that under the rug no you can't do that mm-hmm yeah. Well, and that you can do all the prep work in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, like you talk through, like, what are we going to do? What are our boundaries? Whatever. But you get in the moment and yeah. there's just stuff you can't predict, right? Yeah. Like I can't predict how it's going to feel if I see my partner's face yeah. light up at someone else. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I can't predict how it's going to feel if I see, if I hear my partner tell me um, they held hands with somebody or, you know, like one of the things one of my couples realized afterward was sleepovers aren't okay. Right. Mm. And they, they hadn't thought about that because it wasn't a sex act. It wasn't a play act. Right. Like, so they hadn't really talked about other intimate acts that weren't part of sex, yeah. but one of them slept over at somebody else's house cause they didn't have a curfew. And they were like, oh, wait a minute. You can, you can That's not allowed. You can okay. People, you can beat them up. You can Found a boundary. You, to, you cannot sleep next to them. Yeah. So um, it's just hard to anticipate all of that. And if yeah. you can't come back together afterwards and be like, oh, it's not the it's not the sex that's upsetting to me. It was mm-hmm. that you held hands or it was that you're yeah. going on dates and I realize mm-hmm. I'm fine with you sleeping with other people, but I don't want you dating them. Or I'm fine with you dating them, but I don't want you sleeping with them. You know, whatever. Yeah. You can't come back and figure that out afterwards. Like you're saying, the after talk stuff, that's where it gets so hard. And I see so many couples, like, really struggle. Yeah. That makes Mm -hmm. sense. And mistakes are the norm. I mean, you're going to make mistakes when you do something new. Yep. I mean, that's that's one of the things for me, like, in in a lot of the stuff that I write about is Mm -hmm. we have to be willing to fail. 
like often in our lives if we want the good stuff. Like you consider yourself poly, right? Do you consider yourself poly, Dawn? Um, I consider myself in an open relationship. Open. Alex is poly, and okay. I'm kind of like figuring it out. So you know, so that we're... make you like poly by connection, maybe. or no? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you're we're you're still involved just with somebody kinda... who's poly. So. Yeah, I mean, we're just we're in a non-monogamous situation, okay. and I'm not sure what to call myself, and I'm okay with not knowing what to call myself. Okay, you know, but Alex definitely, a, 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 you know, identifies as poly, and you know, we're just kind of seeing how everything feels, and he's. And so, for people who want a little bit of understanding of what poly is, so what's the difference between somebody who's poly as opposed to somebody who's in like multiple open relationships? or somebody who's just non-monogamous or and dating and fucking mm-hmm. a couple different people um like what yeah what would you know well what? some people use those terms interchangeably and some people don't mm-hmm. so i'll let gina say kind of what she sees as the differences <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well what i see um most often is that folks who identify as poly i mean poly is short for polyamorous right mm-hmm. it means many loves and folks who are poly generally not always, but generally, um, believe in like having a loving connection with many other people. And sometimes that's sexual and sometimes it's not, sometimes it's Mm co-parenting, sometimes it's not, you know, so, um, but it's more about like a love, Mm -hmm. um, peace, open relationships tends to be like the umbrella term. I use it to mean all the non-monogamous poly, all kinds of things. Right. Mm -hmm. There's also folks that I've worked with who are swingers who identify as swingers, but not as poly and not as open and yeah. not as non-monogamous. Yeah. Would you say swingers um, just fuck? Mm, kind of. Are, di- go ahead. No, I was just going to say swingers, I feel like, have a very distinct community mm-hmm. um, for the most part. Is it like wife swap and stuff? It and can be. Just, it can be. It's just sex, though, isn't it? Mm, I mean, I think but, some swingers form connections with other swingers. Hmm. Yeah. But, if I think about the swingers, folks who identify as swingers that I've worked with, like some folks it is just about sex or like one night stands or one night kind of, like you said, like partner swapping. And then some folks, um, it's more like they date other couples mm-hmm. and they go mm-hmm. date other groups of couples and there are like smaller communities within the swinger community. Um, so it is a little bit more of a relationship or ongoing flirtation that they'll have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is like more, it's interesting to me, like, um, it's really defined differently, um, than the poly community and poly folks tend to have a community as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, I I think it's just like energetically, there's a difference and the folks within those communities really tend to define themselves as very different communities. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. We just, uh, got approached by Cooper Beckett from my life on the swing set. And he has a new book out, and so um, I'm about to start reading that so we can talk about it on the podcast. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the things he talks about is being kind of poly-swinger, you know, and Mm. how they're – he's kind of trying to break down some of those those barriers and boundaries, I think, that people kind of see. And I know a lot of times, too, swingers are seen as very heterosexual, the men, at Mm. least. Like, in the swinging community, bi men and gay men are not – usually very welcome um and so there's people that are trying to kind of work through that the women you know kind of will play with anybody but for men by men are really not welcome in a lot of swinger events haters. yeah haters yeah. whatevs wherever you want to stick it sex. good with us yeah <laughs> yeah i can totally see that yeah um, just like we were talking with Lance about that in the porn industry. Uh-huh. If you go both ways, they don't want you to, like, have sex. Exactly. With you can't have sex with women. Or whatever the heck it yep. is. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really mm-hmm. interesting the rules that get created out mm-hmm. of fear and lack yeah. of knowledge and all that kind of stuff. Even even in communities that you think would be kind of open to anything mm-hmm. have have rules and some of which seem really right. arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thinking about those kind of different labels that people choose to, I have to say that I have plenty of clients who identify as being in an open relationship or they identify as non-monogamous who are specifically, like they've said to me, but we are not swingers and we are not poly. Like mm. they're, they've been very clear about that. And what happens, I think, for a lot of folks who are non-monogamous but don't fit into a community is it can be really isolating because they're not often really out about it. And mm-hmm. so it can be sometimes really hard, especially for the male partner usually, um, to find other partners unless they're in a gay male relationship that's a little bit different. But in a hetero relationship, um, it tends to be the more masculine identified folks have trouble finding partners mm-hmm. um, if they're non-monogamous. But, you know, and then within that umbrella of open relationships and non-monogamy, there's all kinds of arrangements that, yeah. um, you know, I've seen and I've also seen sort of monogamous arrangements, if you will, within that. Like I've seen I have seen clients who have like a three partner relationship and they don't identify as open or non-monogamous because they're monogamous with each other. Mm-hmm. That's that triad. That triad you know, is really that. closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That was like that one lady we interviewed. Mm-hmm. I'm such a horrible person. I forget her name, but she was on threesomes, foursomes, and moresomes. IP Cookie Monster. Yeah. She was with mm-hmm. in that triad for several years. I think mm-hmm. she said But like it wasn't closed because she was she was married outside of that. Mm-hmm. And they had Oh, okay. Yeah. But she was part of a triad. Yeah. Yeah, but it just wasn't closed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, Dylan touched on this a little bit. You you said the word shame, and I think that's something that uh, a lot of us, you know, that are in the sex kind of professional community come up against a lot. And it's something that's, I think, really important for us to talk about is removing shame around our sexual desires, around mm-hmm. our sex acts, around the fantasies that we have that we may not play out. Uh, what kind of shame do you see coming into your practice, Gina, and kind of how can you know, people who are struggling with shame about something that they either want or think about to kind of move past that and release it? I mean, that's why I got interested in Brene Brown's mm-hmm. um, work so much because she her whole research is all of her research is about shame and vulnerability and connection, right? And yeah. while I will say her research and her books are definitely G-rated yes. compared to the kind of conversations. <laughs> uh, but it's amazing. Is it about, is it with sex? No, she oh. literally well, just talks about just shame, shame itself mm, and how, mm. how to move past that. Mm. But it applies, right? Yeah. I mean, like, shame is shame is shame. It doesn't sure. matter if it's in your bedroom or in your workplace or with your, like, it just doesn't matter. Shame is the same and it's showing up the same way. And so I use the tools there. And actually, when I was at the training, I asked Brene herself about, like, what do you think about using this mm-hmm. set of tools around sex and sexuality and, um, and social justice work? And she was, like, very on board um, with using this work to help folks kind of liberate their desires and connect with people and find belonging and mm-hmm. empathetic connection. So what she would say about shame is that it cannot survive in the light. Like as soon as you let it into the sunlight, it starts to fade. And so I, shame is really isolating and it keeps us from sharing whatever our truth is, whether our truth is like I'd want to be spanked all the time or I want to have a threesome or I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> whatever your your um, interest is. And so it's this 
it'll keep you isolated and from sharing that and from finding partners or from sharing that with your partner. And if you can find somebody who is empathetic, so this is the sunlight part, right? Like somebody who can, has earned the right to hear your story, mm-hmm. who can you can trust to hold it and let it out. It's one of the most healing experiences. I, I see clients all the time who come in and they're like, I want, I had to make an appointment with you because I'm a pervert and I don't know how to tell my partner. And I'm like, Oh buddy, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> Come here. Yeah. You know, like, and we work through like, how, what is it that you want to share with them? And so people come through the door and they're experiencing all this shame. And I use Brene's work. Um, and there's this other lady named, um, Kristen Neff, um, N E F F. And she, um, has done all this research about self-compassion And again, her research is like really G-rated, but the stuff, she has all these tools on her website. If you ever go to selfcompassion.org, they're free and you can do these meditations and things just to practice like accepting yourself where Mm -hmm. you are, regardless of what else society is telling you or your own self-critic might be telling you Mm -hmm. or your parents used to tell you or whatever. Like her whole practice is just about coming to be accepting of yourself regardless of what kind of shame you're feeling. And um, so the combination of both of their stuff um, has worked wonders for many of my clients. And it's really great to see folks, yeah, now like being a part of sex positive community, trying new things out, coming out to their partners. That's why it's best Um, to just come out and be like, I love dildo sex and anal sex. Yeah. And you just get over it. Get over it. And if that's not your thing, then we'll work around it. But I'm just putting it out there, you know? And I think I think that is, you know, I mm-hmm. think that if you put stuff like that out there, then it makes it a little bit easier for the other person to come out with Oh, totally. Stuff. And, you know, I know a lot of my friends who probably are a little ashamed, like you mm-hmm. said, to talk about what their little kinks are. But the mm-hmm. more I mention something that I have an inkling of what it is that they want to get out, then they slowly come around and tell oh, me yeah. that, you know, first they'll be like, yeah, I don't, I don't mind a finger up my ass or whatever, you know? Uh-huh. And then the next thing you know, like, how do you think I can get my wife to buy an anal probe or whatever, you know, what I mean? <laughs> yeah. just stuff like that. And slowly <laughs> yeah. they, they feel comfortable talking about it and then they'll, you know, get up enough courage to whatever. But I, I'm one of those that's all about come out with everything balls to the wall from the get go and... That way, like you said, it's out in the sunlight and there's no shame in it. And if you don't like it, then whatevs. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think even, you know, putting, you can put your emotional, you can like partner that with your emotional experience and say like, what was your example? Like, I like anal sex and dildos or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Like, I have So if I were to say to my partner, yeah, if I were to say to my partner like, okay, I'm going to tell you this thing and I'm really nervous to tell it to you. Yep. But it's true, and I just got to get it out there. And so I'm hoping you're, you know, I hope that yeah. you won't think I'm crazy or you won't judge it. But I'm into these things, and I at least want to know if you'd talk about it with me, right? Like, you mm-hmm. just kind of, yeah. like, leave it out there. But you can say you're scared to talk yeah. about it. I mean, I think mm-hmm. um, that helps people connect with some empathy. Mm-hmm. And like you mm-hmm. said, once they see you daring greatly is what Brene calls it, or, like, being vulnerable, they're way more likely to be vulnerable mm-hmm. with you. It builds trust yeah. to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, yeah. like with a lot of the people who want to try things and they're not sure about it, you know, also kind of putting on the table, like, 
I'm about to share something with you that's really scary and I'm kind of nervous about it. And I'm not saying we have to just like do this thing, but I just want to say this thing so we can talk about it. Right. You know, and then remove some of the pressure off the other person that whatever comes out my mouth, I'm not expecting you to just like jump up and grab something and we're going to fuck next in the next five minutes. Right. You know, it's like this is (laughs) this is a conversation and there's going to be space for you to have your reaction too. you know, and I think that's where you can have really good stuff going on. Totally. And I think you're right. You're exactly right about um, a lot of times when people get new information, especially about their partner, that's like really intimate. They feel they want something to do. They want like an action step. And mm-hmm. so if you can give them like a, hey, why don't you take a day to think about this? And, you know, tomorrow we can talk about it more or like, hey, I heard that there's a clinic coming up about how to use this kind of sex toy um, maybe you want to think about going with me mm-hmm. or like, you know, so they don't have to feel like, Oh shit, now I got to figure out mm-hmm. how to wear a strap yeah. on. And, right. and, you know, like, um, that can feel like a lot of pressure to them. And instead you just like kind of, you want to give them an action step. So, cause usually what's hard for them is they want to do it. They just don't right. know how. Yeah. That's very, that's very true. It yeah. is. They're yeah. I'm sure. Okay. Well, damn, now my wife likes mm-hmm. anal sex. I'm not sure. Yeah. I've how, even experienced you know. that with Alex. I mean, Alex loves rope bondage and he does it, but he also likes to receive it. And there was one night where he was like, I would really love you to do a box tie and like tie me up. And I literally paralyzed because I was like, well, shit, I don't know how to do this. Right. And I just kind of was like, I feel a little uncomfortable right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like, it's not that I didn't want to do that. Sure. I actually really wanted to, but facing that fear of, right. oh crap, I don't know how to do this thing. And now I'm going to feel mm. like self-conscious mm-hmm. just kind of like exploded out. Right. You know, and of course we were able to talk about it because we practiced that a lot. But, you know, I mean, even for people who do all kinds of kinky stuff, sometimes you come up against something you've never done before and you hit that like paralysis a little bit of like, oh shit, this person wants something yeah. and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, and we've all had the experience, whether it's with sex or something else, where somebody's like really open and vulnerable with us, and then you're like, "Well, what do you want me to do about?" You know, like yeah. you know, you're like, you're not like, "What do you want me to do about it?" Like, oh, I don't shit. care, but like, do you want me to come? Like, how can I? Uh-huh. You want to like yeah. help, or you at least want to know? Like, do you just need some empathy? Mm-hmm. Do you just want me to hear right. you right now? Like, so it's helpful if you can have your ask or your request kind of tied in with it. That's right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. That's really smart. Like, this is what I'm into, but I'm not asking you to do anything right now. Yeah. Just. We're just going to talk about it. Just going to talk about it. Yeah, think about it. Right. Okay. So um, I'm going to jump us into a little bit of a different topic, but it kind of has, I think, some ties. Gina, you've written a lot about jealousy, and we have gotten a lot of questions over the last year about jealousy, and um, I myself have struggled with it, and, you know, it's been in a lot of the relationships that we hear about. So um, can you just kind of unpack a little bit what jealousy is and then what is your best way for working through it when you hit it? Yeah. Well, I have to say, as a um, sex-positive therapist who focuses on non-monogamy, I should have said this earlier, I get so many <laughs> couples coming to me, and individual people who are, who are like, I don't even know why, we're monogamous, and I know my person isn't cheating, and I still get really jealous mm. all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard. Jealousy is one of the most intense emotions for most people. Um, it, like, it... it people usually feel it at like a primal level. And I know it's one of the things that I've had to wrestle with most in my own relationships, even in friendships and things, right? Like just feeling envy and jealousy and comparison. Um, It's such a strong emotion. 
it leads to murder. You know what I mean? Like people kill over jealousy. People do yeah. physical harm over jealousy. It is, yeah. it is like you said, primal. It in it brings about rage, and mm-hmm. it's scary. And mm-hmm. I like to think that I'm like all cool all the time, and I don't <laughs> do jealous. And I'm like, well, fuck that. If you don't want this, then get to step in, you know. And you try to be all. Whoops, did something just break? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. I just kicked something. It's fine. It's just fine. <laughs> and But, yeah, that's a hard one. That mm-hmm. is a really hard uh, emotion to work with. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, you know, the the first thing that is really important is just, like you said, like, most of us don't even want to acknowledge that jealousy is happening in our life. <laughs> and uh-huh. so yep. just... The first step is just naming it, right? Like, I am really jealous right now. And I, holy crap. Like, it's so intense. I don't know what to do with that. So, like, being able to just say that, even just to yourself, let alone Mm -hmm. to a partner, um, is really, really important. Just name it. It's jealousy. It happens to all of us. It's totally a natural emotion. Yeah. Um, And then, like, forcing yourself to slow down and find some form of rationality, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, whether so like thinking about like okay what am I really upset about right now what it what what is it um is it that my partner is making that face that's something that comes up a lot in sessions my I saw my partner make a face with somebody else right and what does that face mean to me and why is that so upsetting or like um, is it that I, I haven't spent enough time with my partner today or mm-hmm. is it just that I need a sandwich, right? Like, and, and, you know, or we haven't been on a date in a while. Like are my baseline levels, um, of like food and sleep and self-care out of whack and I'm, and I'm more easily jealous and less in, in control. Right. Mm-hmm. So like just kind of checking in with some real rational grounded, stuff yeah um slowing down I don't always think it's a good idea I would almost never say it's a good idea when you're in the moment of feeling really jealous to walk (laughs) over to your partner and say I'm really jealous right now Um, (laughs) you know like you do want to communicate but yeah I think jealousy it tends to be so reactive that um it's important to get clear first yep as clear as you can and then um I talked about the self-compassion practices. Mm -hmm. I do think those are really helpful. I also think it's really useful to be able, like, ultimately to come back to talk to your partner and say, like, oh, I felt really jealous when this thing was happening last night. And, you know, I could use, I realized I could use some reassurance or I could use some reconnection. Mm -hmm. Or it might be better. I mean, I can think about recently, um, my partner and I have really focused on our individual friendships. Mm. And there was a time recently when the way that our friend dates, we weren't like dating other people, but our, our platonic friend dates lined up. Um, I think he had three nights out and I had two nights out. And so we only had one night together in the week. And all of a sudden by the last night, I was like all kinds of grouchy, right? (laughs) (laughs) Being able to say to him like, oh, hey, I think I need us to have our nights with other people take up no more than three nights in the week. So I get... I get more nights with you. Yeah. Yeah. Be able to ask and then negotiate, right? Does that work with him? Is that what he has in mind? Yeah. Um, So 
really being able to get clear about what it is, is I was missing time and I needed my little like love bank mm-hmm. filled up before we spent so much time with friends. Yeah. And I think that's like so important. I mean, in my experience, I've been working with, you know, less so now, but in the beginning, you know, when Alex and I really started getting serious, I was coming up against jealousy very frequently Mm. and it was always fear-based. You know, it was always, oh, he just had a really great date and I'm worried I'm going to be replaced, Uh, you know, mm -hmm. and so not only being able to name that feeling, but then being able to share it with him and have it be received in a really compassionate way was mm-hmm. amazing because in the past I've had partners where if jealousy came up, it became the match that hit the lighter fluid that exploded something, you know? Yeah. And so it, it turned into a fight or it turned into an accusation. Yeah. And, you know, so there kind of wasn't that safe space to be like, okay, I'm, I'm in some icky right now, I feel, you know? And I feel like most times when somebody is willing to become vulnerable and put it out there, you know, like mm-hmm. you feel jealous. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, when you put that out there, I'm feeling jealous because I really didn't like the way your face lit up when so-and-so came in. Mm-hmm. And then the if the other person doesn't acknowledge it, then it becomes like mm-hmm. really like, oh, that what? That was nothing. You know what I mean? When it's just shunned aside like yeah. that, yeah. I think it causes some serious <clears throat> problems. It has to be acknowledged. It has to be heard. And I, I, and I can see where so many jealousy fights happen because the other person refuses to acknowledge what your partner is telling you right now, you know? Yeah. And I also think like a lot of times when you have two people who are in a relationship who understand the importance of compassion, empathy, Mm -hmm. communication, it's a lot easier to work through those things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the other things that we've got on our list for talking to Gina about is, you know, somebody that we have who's a listener and their spouse is basically kind of, being abusive in Mm. these like really aggressive, you know, highly volatile accusations that are being thrown around from a place of jealousy, but there's no way to like have a rational conversation. Yeah. You know, I think that's, it's much more challenging to navigate jealousy when you have someone who's just like all reactive all the time and it's hard to get them to sit in a place where they just receive and you can actually like communicate with each other, Mm -hmm. you know? Do you find that most of the people that come to you, Gina, are really ready to do the work? Or do you ever get people who come in and they say they want to do the work and they're just totally not ready to do the work? Well, the truth about life as a couples counselor is that most couples come to us far too late in the game. Mm. They come, they've had like a problem and some distance growing for like two, four, eight, ten years. Mm. And then they decide like as a last ditch effort, they're going to come Or they come, they know they want to break up deep in their heart. They know they want to break up, but they come because they want to be able to say they tried everything. Yeah. And so um, neither of those are really great situations. for. (laughs) (laughs) The first one is okay if you're willing to work for a while, but like people will come in after six years of sleeping in separate bedrooms and not talking Mm. and they will want me to like fix them with a magic wand in 90 minutes and it's not realistic right because they've had all of this buildup that we kind of need to go through I'm not saying it has to take another six years but Mm -hmm. uh, it's not gonna be a a session right yeah yeah and sometimes folks just you know there are other parts of their life that are working really well and it takes a lot of change and not always I will say though um what's interesting to me is that 
this is purely anecdotal. I don't have any research to back this up, but like my um, non-monogamous couples um, tend to be more invested in um, doing the hard work. Mm. And I, I, my assumption is that that's because they've already chosen a more complicated yeah. communication-based relationship model. Yeah. Um, There's you know, been some consciousness already. Mm-hmm. I think so. I mm-hmm. think so. And um, especially the couples who've been really intentional about setting up their non-monogamous or poly dynamics. Mm-hmm. It's like they're, they do a better job of taking personal accountability and not taking things too seriously when they fight. And those are mm-hmm. really key predictors for long-term success in a relationship. Yeah. One of the, we had a guest on, um, early last year, uh, Caitlin, and she mostly works with people who have chronic illness and helping them to kind of rediscover sex. But one of the other things that she talks about is passionate monogamy and, you know, her and her, uh, partner are monogamous, but they've made a very conscious decision to be monogamous. It wasn't because it was the, you know, cultural standard and they fell into it because that's the expectation. They actually sat down, had conversations and chose that for themselves and they choose it on an ongoing basis. And, you know, I think that's kind of a little bit, you know, where you get with the non-monogamy is so often our story is the one that we're told to play out. And so when you break from that story, whether that's non-monogamy or kink or something else, you've kind of had to start writing your own rules and forging your own path. And so there's just been a little bit of thought there. And I think that same consciousness can exist for people who are in monogamous relationships. But um, I think it's much more rare because people aren't told you can choose this. It's mm-hmm. just you have to do this, right. you know. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. I think that, yeah, I could see how that, you know. Well, and what case. that brings up, too, that I think is really important is that in long term relationships, another fantasy we like to believe in our culture is that, like, you get together. Let's say you're 22 and you meet somebody and you have the same ideas about what you want in a relationship. And so you decide you're going to be together Um, and you have a ceremony or you, I don't know, make it official in whatever way for you. And then that agreement holds true for the next 50 years. And that (laughs) is just just bullshit. It's not possible. Um, that wouldn't work. Let's say you found a business when you're 22, you would need to like, you know, recreate Mm -hmm. your business agreements Mm -hmm. or your agreements with your stockholders and change with the times. Yeah. Reinvent yourself with a lawyer Mm -hmm. to rewrite your contracts. Like, you you would never do that in any other arrangement. So I don't know right. why people think that's the way a relationship w- should work. And whether it's non-monogamous or monogamous, you got to check in yeah. at least annually to say like, hey, are we still on the same page about these couple mm-hmm. of things? You know, just like you're saying, and communicate all the time. Mm-hmm. All yeah, the it's time. so funny because we <laughs> we found some old notebooks where me and the wife first met. And it said in there, you know, like she had jotted her five-year plan, five-year out, you know. And it mm-hmm. was like, oh, we were going to have like 2.5 kids. And she was going to backpack Europe and all this stuff. And it was hilarious <laughs> looking back on it now because we're both completely adamant, you know. My son's grown and out of the house. And we're like, no intention of ever having kids like no way (laughs) kids are completely out of the picture and it's just not like you have to come Mm -hmm. back and hey are we cool with this are we still like kids are a deal breaker now you know like we're both on the same page and you know this is our our plan for jobs we're going to relocate whatever it is yeah you do have to keep having that conversation and throughout 
hours, you know, we were, uh, obviously monogamous, you know, that was Uh the thing we did. And what are we like seven years in, we decided to try and venture out Mm -hmm. horribly, learned (laughs) from those mistakes, you know, gave it a year rest, tried again, better, but still not the best so you know <laughs> trial and, then, and error well yeah total trial and error and we'll probably you know let it rest for a year and then mm-hmm. see see what happens if it's yeah. something that's ever going to be successful for us but you know we are adventurous mm-hmm. and it's we both know that flirting is fun mm-hmm. and that little well and i think the key is you two are willing to grow together yeah you know like you're yeah. so solid in your foundation yeah. that failures are okay even if they last a really long time right you know and like you two are willing to grow and change yeah. and i think that's so awesome you know and i think that's a key and like gina said people come to her like long after things have been in trouble for years yeah and i am a huge advocate of People should go to therapy before they ever do the move-in thing. Because at this state, in, in, in age, whatever, this generation, everybody has baggage, right? Mm-hmm. And I knew I was coming into the relationship with baggage. The wife had baggage. We went to the therapist, the same one we've had. We discussed our baggage, learned how to talk, mm-hmm. learn how to communicate, learn how to fight politely, whatever you want to call it. And... <laughs> We just continue down that path, and it's not a bad thing. I'm like, I'm all all power to Mm -hmm. the counselor, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I I'm a huge advocate of that, and I think that without without that, I I guarantee you, we would not be together right now. We've had people write into the show, and then I've personally just had people contact me through my coaching practice where they're really interested themselves in counseling or coaching, but their partner or their spouse or their sweetheart just really isn't willing to do that work. They're not willing to go to therapy. They're not willing to go to counseling. They're not interested in coaching. So what's your recommendation for those kinds of situations? Yeah, um, that is really hard. Uh, because therapy really only works with folks who are consenting ultimately to go, mm-hmm. right? And so you don't have to do too much convincing. I use this metaphor I was just kind of using with you guys about a business arrangement, right? And if you think about your marriage or your partnership as a business, it would never be a good idea to um, found a business and like create one agreement and then never revisit it. Yeah. <laughs> you would never do that. It would not be a successful business. Instead, if you're going to create a successful business, you create an agreement, you start running, and every three to five years, you meet with a lawyer and an attorney and a business coach to like do a little fine tuning and make sure that you're contracts that you've negotiated and your partnership agreements are still intact and there's still the roles that you want to have, right? Like that would be good business. And I think we all need to apply that kind of metaphor more in our romantic relationships, right? Like you wouldn't, I mean, the other one that I use, (laughs) that I don't know is so good, um, (laughs) is that you, you have to go to the dentist, (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't go to the dentist, shit builds up between your teeth, right? Yeah. And it's um, and then you have to get a root canal. But mm-hmm. if you go every once in a while and get it bl- brushed out and like learn some fine tuning, like oh, I need to brush better over here because I tend to miss that spot. Great. Mm-hmm. Then you don't need a root canal over time. Right. right. Like, you just do the low maintenance work and preventative care, and you're fine. Yeah. So, I think that's a good point too. Just like. If I didn't have to be a big deal. Exactly. Right. And like, I think one of the things that a lot of us miss, and sometimes we're way into a relationship before we realize, oh, shit, we did this wrong for the last 10 years. But, you know, I mean, having those kind of like check in as a couple conversations can be kind of scary at first. You know, when you're mm-hmm. actually asking someone, do you still want this? Is this mm-hmm. still good for you? You know, because you're actually what you're asking is should we end this? And that's really scary. But, you know, what I've found in my experience, whether it's balancing my budget or it's dealing with friendships or it's dealing with, you know, love relationships is if we check in on a regular basis, it becomes a practice and it's much less threatening. Mm -hmm. It's much less difficult when you do have things come up. They haven't been building for forever. And so you're not trying to tackle 20 problems. You're just trying to tackle one or two smaller ones, you know? And so the, the, the risk is so much lower for me when I'm like, you know, I've actually kind of been struggling with this thing lately. Well, it's only been a couple of weeks since we checked in, so we've got plenty of time to start working on it. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if yeah. you're only checking in when shit really hits the fan. That's not good. Yeah. I mean, you got a lot you got to work through. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's really scary because now you're both in this horrible place. And I actually really like the dentist metaphor because, you know, yeah. like the dentist or like your your budget or whatever it is. I mean, if you don't look at your budget for three years, right. you're going to have some surprises you don't like. Yeah. Right. Well, and, you know, um, the other thing that I'm thinking about that is that, like you said, most people wait way too long. And if you're coming in to decide whether or not you should be together, therapy is really not the best place for that. Like mediation might be. Mm -hmm. But if you want to come in before you're there, like when you're just like, huh, we keep having the same argument over and over and we got to figure out something else. You know, like it's Mm -hmm. not it, it works best if it's like way upstream of the of the do we stay or do we go and more in the like how do we do this better yeah yeah this isn't bad it's just not like I think it could be even better you know and if you frame it more that way and if you can come in sooner I think that makes it easier like your partner is less likely to be like thinking it's a crisis or Mm -hmm. scared about coming in I also think you know there's a lot of really good books out there I have a couple book lists on my site i can send them oh. to you guys too if you want yeah um, you've got some really good think book are great. lists yeah yeah thanks yeah I, and you can do online courses sometimes and mm-hmm. it's not the same as therapy but um but you can learn a lot and and then you know if your partner really isn't going to go you can go and you can get a lot of clarity on your own mm-hmm. about you know how you can change and just the changes that you create can help some things in the relationship yeah, I think, uh, like, uh, like with nonviolent communication, you know, the person that you're talking with doesn't have to know what nonviolent communication is or understand those techniques, but when you have those tools in your toolkit and you employ right. them, it automatically mm-hmm. brings things mm-hmm. to a better place. Even if the other person mm-hmm. doesn't know you're doing that right. and they don't know the words you're using and any of that kind of stuff, when you make someone feel heard and when you're able to really put yourself in a good place, mm-hmm. it's automatically going to make the situation a little bit easier. It might not 
you know, fix it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's a really good point that, you know, whether it's both of you coming or one of you coming, if, if one of you all of a sudden starts having all of these new tools that you can use that helps to open somebody Mm -hmm. up or that helps to, you know, disarm during an argument or helps you to, you know, learn how to be more vulnerable. I think that just kind of elevates everything Mm -hmm. for, for both people. And you Mm -hmm. do have to, like you said, check in when you check in, are you still in it to the end? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Are you still in it? Are you still invested? I think that was like the huge turning point in a bad part in our relationship was me reaffirming, look, I'm in this till the end. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. And you know then that way the commitment isn't just some half-ass, mm-hmm. I'm trying to save this marriage or whatever the hell it is, you know. You are really in it. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. Communication, mm-hmm. therapy, all of that. I think the key to all of this shit is, like, people just need to learn how to talk to each other. Well, I think mm. you have to learn how to be honest with yourself yeah. and how to vocalize your truth. Yeah. You know, like, that to me is the big part. Yeah. Because if I don't know how to vocalize my truth, state my needs, ask mm-hmm. for what I want, yeah. then it's just never going to work. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Communication. So, Gina, you have an amazing website called Amplify Happiness Now that's got tons and tons of amazing blog posts and videos and and book lists and all kinds of amazing stuff. And you've got your new website, Uncommon Love PDX, um, which is for your non-monogamous, queer, kinky folks. Um, so are you cooking up anything awesome that you want to share with our listeners or anything you want to invite our listeners to check out, or we'll have all your links and all your resources uh, on our website so people can check it out. But I just want to see if there's anything you specifically want to like invite people to look at or something like that. So I'm really excited to have uncommon love kind of as its own standalone. I think it was really hard sometimes for my sex positive non-monogamous folks to find me before because um, I think they couldn't see past the veil always of my positive psychology mm-hmm. blog. And sometimes it was throwing off my positive psychology folks who weren't interested <laughs> in kinky, kinky stuff. <laughs> you know, like, oh. uh, so Don wrote this great blog about um, hardcore negotiations. <laughs> and uh, and I had to, like, you know, tame it down a little bit for my, for my other audience. Uh, so yeah. I'm excited to have them separated a little bit. I am about to launch um, a mindful makeout program on Uncommon Love that's really Mm. just about being fully present in your makeout and sensual um, type play. God, that's amazing. Yeah. And I'm going to do a series of loving kindness meditations for couples. Pretty pumped about that. And then some guides for beginning kink and opening up. But that's all coming later this year. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm like, I'm pumped about it, actually. Um, the app, Amplify Happiness Now, I've got all set up with this, these two great programs every year. There's a summer relationship cleanse and a winter relationship detox. And mm-hmm. those are really just about like a once a year, you know, like we were saying about like preventative care for your relationship that doesn't involve therapy, right? Like once a year, we just do a really good yeah. check-in about how are we, how do we want to be together? Yeah. And I'm seeing these things like really help a lot of couples. It's pretty fun to be able to use the internet to reach more folks. That's awesome. Yeah. I think I just took your lesbian survey too on your Facebook page. Oh, I love that. It wasn't mine. It's auto straddles, but. Oh yeah. um, Yeah. That's what it was. 
they're great too. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we will have links to Gina's social media and to her website so that you can find her if you're interested in checking out um, all the wonderful things that she's written and created, her programs online. Um, she's just got some really beautiful websites. And then if you're interested in working with her, her contact information will be there too. Um, of course, we want to hear from you. You can also go to our website, sexgetsreal.com, to submit any questions you have, comments about the episode, and of course, share any kinky stories that you want us to share on the air. You can also call us at 747-444-1840. And we just want to thank Gina so much. Thank you for being here today. You had so much wonderful information. This was such a great conversation. I think our listeners are really going to get a lot out of it. Yeah, thank you guys. I love what you're doing. It's always so fun to listen to you. Thanks so much for being here, Gina. Okay, we'll talk to you later. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.